From WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hello and welcome back. I'm Reese and I'm excited to share this week's episode with you. Our guest this week is Leia Brassi, who is as impressive out of the water as she is in it. In the water, she is an accomplished surfer, sailor, spearfisher woman, and all-around water woman of the highest order. Leia is also incredibly impressive in our conversation here. I first met Leia over some beers in France at a Patagonia event in Hossiger in 2018. And when we started talking about the Glowing Gone campaign for coral reefs in Tahiti last year, Leia was one of the first people I called because she's been living there on a boat for years now. She was so kind and helpful as we prepared the project, and when we landed, she was a great guide, joining our coral restoration project, directing us to the best bakery on the island, and taking us out for a surf at a secluded spot. I found Leia to have this tremendous strength of character combined with this ultra self-awareness, and she is highly in tune with her surroundings. It's really, really cool to see. We spoke at length about the importance of community, the power of social media and the environmental movement, living sustainably and self-sufficiently, and more from her humble apartment in Tahiti. Here's Leia Brassi. What is your name and who are you? My name is Leia Brassi. I'm a surfer, free diver, and a spearfisher woman from France. And I live uh, half the time in France and half the time in Tahiti, in French Polynesia. I am dedicated to raise awareness, to protect our environment. And um, I am supported by Patagonia, one of the surf ambassadors. Basically, I live my passions on a daily basis. And I try to share the values that made me where I am today with the people that like what I do. Amazing. Um now, a lot of podcasts will start out with lots more of the history of how did you get into this and when did you get started surfing and all those things, but I actually want to go right into a harder question okay. right off the bat. If you could go back in time and change one thing in history, what would it be and why? In the world's history? Yeah, world history. If you could go back in time, you know, whatever it is, you could stop something, start something. Hmm, that's a good, good question. It's a favorite question of mine, and I've asked it of friends the world over, and I love to see the different responses. I think um, before colonization, if I could like just and not undo, but if every places could have remained as genuine as they were before colonization, then we would have so many different types of people, types of cultures, so many, so many different ways to look at the world, to look at nature. Uh, we would have so many more sources of inspiration to live differently and it would give credit to those like me who think we need to live in a different pace and um, value different things so yeah it's I would I would sink those ships <laughs> basically <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny because you're a sailor so right I mean you 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 sailed you lived on a boat here in Tahiti for a while so you want to prevent sailing from ever existing <laughs> not that I want to prevent sailing from ever existing I want to prevent like people from changing others uh, cultures and thinking they're better they're stronger thinking they want to win all the time or they want to be superior I think that's that's what I would like to change. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's it's an interesting thread to go down because colonialism kind of is, 
you know, it's resource extraction, right? It's saying we, we in this colony do not have enough of whatever thing, or we found some other thing in another place and we want to exploit that resource and take it from there and bring it back here instead of living sustainably within your means. Now, on the, at the same token, colonization has led to the spreading of culture and the growth of so many things and advancement of society. So there's definitely plus sides to it, too. But yeah, it's uh, it's certainly created a system which maybe isn't as sustainable and doesn't leave a lot of cultures untouched. And so uh, on that note, you know, we're here in Tahiti. You come from France, but you've been here for years now and been a part of the culture. Tell us what's so special about the culture here. You know, what what brought you here and, and what parts of this place are still untouched? And, you know, what changes have you maybe seen that you think are not so positive? What made me come here is the ocean. I came here for surfing. And after I also came here for diving. And then it's mesmerizing. It's like nothing else. It's like to say that it's it's a dream of the big blue. It's like a big blue dream <laughs> of my childhood. I guess I'm not the only one, but um, and this dream you can really live it here on a daily basis. You can surf, you can fish your own fish, you can share it with your friends and family. You can live off the ocean basically, and that's something you don't do in so many places in an healthy way. And um, so this kept me over here because I felt like. I had something in common with these people that I valued those very simple things that are harvesting from the ocean and having fun in the ocean. And I just wanted more of it because it felt real to me, basically. And I think that's what people have right over here is that they value their own resources and the, the beauty of their environment. And, um, and it makes them very happy on a daily basis. It's not about in two months, not about in two years or 20 years. It's about now. And it's about like sharing on the moment with the ones around you. So they have it very right. But in the same time, that also means it's hard to to protect a resource for the future because you think a lot about today. And that's kind of why it's interesting to bring also people from other cultures to actually highlight the fact that this resource is not necessarily going to last forever, you know. It's not necessarily something that's going to be provided by nature forever either. And um, there are places in the world where it's not existing anymore and we can't have that lifestyle anymore. So it's it's worth protecting it. And I think that's why like the uh, foreigner influence in, in French Polynesia is interesting as well. What, But, do, you, what do you mean? Uh, oh, because I think... Um, Like like the tourism, when you bring tourism and all these people that are just totally not believing everything they see because it, it's just so much fish, so much beauty, so much colors and it blows everybody's minds, you know. It's, uh, it's overwhelming of emotions, of sensations and that when tourists like that or like just foreigners like that can talk about um, their experience at It kind of like shows that it's not something you leave somewhere else, you know, and, um, and it needs to, it needs protection, you know, and it's, it's just, uh, it'd be easy to um, abuse of the resource for the sake of now, but you also have to think about the sake of tomorrow and the happiness that it will bring and the harmony it will bring in, in the future for your children and your grandchildren. 
eventually. For sure. So let's get, let's dive into the beauty of this place. So you, you moved here five years ago and at first you were living on a boat, right? Um, no, at first I, I took a position as a nurse in, um, in an atoll, the Tuamotu. Okay. So I worked on the little um, nursery. I don't know. It's a very small like healthcare unit. Okay. I worked there and then I was diving a lot. There wasn't any surfing, but I was diving a lot. And um, it was interesting because in the same time, it was the stereotype of colonization because I w- with my white shirt, I was talking about European or Western medicine, you know. And on the other end, I was diving with the guys. I was like providing my own fish. Oftentimes I had a lot more and I would give to people, you know. And that was kind of upside down for like how it works over there. And it was very interesting for me because I could tell at the beginning I wasn't part of the community. Although I had a lot of respect for like the traditional uh, medicine, I just for a reason of liability, I could not practice it, you know, I just, that's just what I had in my hands was like the Western way to treat disease and illness. And, um, but once I started getting the respect and like the confidence of, um, of the, the people underwater, my place in the community totally changed. And from oh, really? like being the nurse, I just became Leah as a person with like different faces, you know. And um, it was a very beautiful experience for me. Then I realized how much being part of the community was important to me. I could be traveling to the, the most pristine places, surfing the most pristine waves and catching the, the most amazing fish, like looking at a wonderful sky of stars. It was cool, but what's really cool is to do all of that with the backup of a, the local community to feel like you are actually bringing something and uh, you're actually adding value to the experience over there and not only taking. And that was a very big turning point for me in my my life as a traveler, like my life on the road for mm-hmm. very for very many years, it was a very big turning point. Yeah, that's amazing. And so then, so you moved here full time, or at least most of the time? I kind of alternate between France and Tahiti. Yeah. Um, so depending on the projects, but I'm like half of the year in France and half of the year in Tahiti, more or less. Yeah. So, and then you, you lived on a boat and you really became more known as a spearfisher woman, right? And, and or free diver? Did that that kind of took over for you, or you just spending more and more time on the reef? Was it because you were hunting for your food, or just a desire to be out and be connected to nature? What was driving that? And I'd just love to learn more about your experience there, just being in and around this environment and living that close to nature. The the sailing part was a dream of mine since I was a kid. Before even surfing, I wanted to sail, so it was kind of. It made sense. It was kind of natural to... I bought a very small sailboat and I was living in it. It was more like camping, really. And uh, did a little sailing experience and learned to repair a bunch of stuff. And I was very like happy to learn all these skills. Uh, it was a very tiring life, though. And I wanted to be very... like to spend more time doing my passions rather than working on the boat. I have a lot of respect for people who do that full time. (laughs) (laughs) And um, eventually I'll go back to it when I'll get older. But for now, I just 
I just had so much more to do with my passions that are my core passions, like surfing. And so diving became a very like core passion to me because um, it's hard to explain. It's just something that took to my guts right away. It's something I think I was missing, um, some kind of, um, of peace, of inside satisfaction, maybe. I was afraid to put my head under water until until my friend Kimi uh, Werner like introduced me to to free diving. Wait, you were afraid to put your head underwater? Yeah, I was afraid. But you already were a surfer, weren't you? Didn't you sur- start surfing as yeah in your in your youth? I I started surfing when I was eleven, but I was afraid of like the world underwater, and especially maybe like murky water, and like just it was a mystery to me. I just wasn't very confident, and I think a lot of, a lot of sur- surfers can feel that it's not necessarily it's two different things. Like being on the surface and being underwater is different. I think that's the answer I had when I started like diving and and be a bit deeper. I just realized it was a different world, but it was my world, actually, and it felt very familiar to me for some reason. I don't know. And that was free diving? That was free diving. Yeah. I think there is something about, is it fasting, we say, when we don't eat for a little bit? Yep. It's like fasting, but with air, and air is like <laughs> your very, the first need you need to fulfill. Yeah. So it's kind of like putting everything on hold for a little bit and listening to what's happening within you within your body, within your brain. And I I just love that exercise with my own brain to actually disconnect and and like find a new world to be in in order to be able to fast air, if it makes sense. It's kind of. Uh, <laughs> so there I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I like trying to train and hold my breath a little bit just uh, for a little bit of training here and there. And I understand that you, you do have to, it's that first urge that your body just goes, I need air, right? We're used mm-hmm. to every, you know, just breathing rhythmically. It's it's the thing we all do so naturally. And then when you first go, oh no, we're, we're not going to do that right now. We're going to stay down here below the surface. And, you know, yesterday when we were in the water, I, I did notice at one point you grabbed a rock and yeah. sat on the bottom you know everyone else is swimming around and doing their thing and looking at coral and then at some point you just grabbed a rock and just sat there on the bottom for a little while and i was like i wonder how long she's gonna hang down there <laughs> <laughs> and there you were fighting that first urge and just but you looked so peaceful in that moment which was really impressive yeah, yeah. oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so cool so you start diving and seeing what's beneath and i think that's really interesting for a couple reasons one i I think it's really interesting that you through free diving got more in touch with nature or or learned what's below i think for so many surfers it's kind of some people they just go out and they surf and it's yeah i surfed i caught some waves and that was great and whatever and i don't even want to think about what's below and then there are some people who go out there and they want to you know snorkel the reef and understand what the the bathymetry is to understand what how it makes a wave but there's a whole next level of looking at a habitat or an ecosystem and understanding you know what it can or can't provide um what is what it's what it looks like and i think that's one of the things we connected about early on when i was asking you about the reefs here in tahiti you know, you said, oh, I, I've seen what they look like. You know, you've, you've been down there. You've been, you know, diving the reefs for a while. So I'd love to know, you know, we all hear the stats and we see the articles of the Great Barrier Reef is bleaching and da 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 But what have you seen with your own eyes? I mean, you, you're connected to it here in Tahiti. I've seen um, coral bleaching every season when the seawater temperature is warmer. 
and um, sometimes it gets like really warm and you see it from you see the change within a week you know sometimes in it's, a week really um it can yeah it can really like bleach very quickly wow and uh, it's a disturbing feeling you know something is wrong and it, it to me it's something that goes straight in my belly you know it's like I don't feel good about it. I don't feel proud about it. You know, it's not because it's a very symbolic change in nature because it's not one thing you can change. It's it's actually, it's all about like, it's the global warming, like ocean acidification and seawater um, temperature rising that's responsible for it. That means that it's anything and everything, you know, that we do as human beings on this planet. And... Um, It's not like if there is a switch that we could turn off and on and the crawl is alive again and healthy again, you know. It's it's just a real proof of everything else that is not quite right in this world. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it, it hurts. It hurts me when I see that. And um, we always have the hope that when the temperature goes down, then eventually the crawl is, is going to recover. So that's... Kind of like always the optimistic way to look at it, but it's not totally true either. So it's a big problem. But I also have that in like anytime I see nature being spoiled in a way that's not fixable, it just gets straight to my belly and it's painful. <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, that totally resonates. Although I'll ask, you said when you first saw bleaching, it went right to your gut. Did you know that bleaching and, and those corals that were those kind of bright colors or bright white, did you know that those were dead corals right away? Because I feel like one of the things I've run into are many people who, you know, you can show them photos of corals and they go, oh, beautiful. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, actually, that, that, that one's dying or that one's dead. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about the Glowing Glowing Gone campaign that we're, we're running is that, you know, you have these incredible colors and people go, wow, that's gorgeous. And But they're then, not beautiful. They're waving a flag. Yeah, exactly. The coral saying, look at me. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so you said you knew, but you knew right away just because of the change, because it was that drastic? Or is it no. because you were informed already? Yeah, no, it, it is thanks to a friend of mine. I was, so I was diving on a daily basis. Um, it's the year I was a, a nurse on the atoll. And um, I, I noticed the coral bleaching and I talked about it with a friend of mine I was a scuba diver and that's when he gave me the news that it was the second year only that they were witnessing it in that area and he wasn't crying but he was about to. <laughs> so he just instantly told me so I, I didn't even have to like look for information. He was right there like we need to do something about it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was like counting all the corals and he was like surveying the, the area and he was doing a great job. There is, there are people out there that are so passionate that don't ask for anything or don't wait for anybody to actually do their own map of the situation. It's interesting. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I think that's a great segue into, you know, the reason we're kind of here and having this conversation, the reason I'm here in Tahiti. You know, we have our event here in the Tahiti Pro and the WSL has used it as a, a mechanism to talk about coral bleaching and talk about coral reefs. And so we're pretty excited about that campaign. But 
we wanted to go beyond the awareness. The Glowing Glowing Gone campaign is incredible in raising awareness and colors are really fascinating. And it was really cool to see the surfers reactions to the jerseys today. We showed them their jerseys all one-on-one and they all went, whoa, these are the coolest jerseys. And, you know, I mean, all the guys were just kind of, wow, these, these, we should do this every event and change the jersey. And these are, these are rad, you know, versus the usual red and blue and which is cool. And they liked that there was a cause behind it. So that's all really positive, but we want to make sure that there was some impact there too. And so we wanted to support some of the local groups. And so, uh, one of them, Coral Gardeners, we identified and we said, all right, who's around and who wants to go check them out? So that's how we got in touch. And you were here and said, I'm, I'm ready. I'm in. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. It, it didn't, you didn't take much convincing. And so I was really appreciative to have you on the trip. Do you maybe want to tell us about the day uh, and you know what we did with them and uh, a little bit about the Coral Gardeners? Yeah. I, I've heard of them over here because they are a very dynamic um, NGO founded by like young local people. And I mean, I've I had only heard good about it, and so I was I was stoked to go check it out with you guys. And um, yeah, that entire energy of man, we need to do something. Like let's do something together now in the place that we love so much. That's providing us with good surf, good fish, like beautiful underwater life. Let's protect it. And um, I just felt that energy transiting to me right away and it it was very empowering and very positive and just yeah it was so cool and I could I could tell it was the same with the people around me you know with the whole group that we were everybody was just getting like you know like pumps up um, the stoke level was high for sure yeah everybody was getting stoked and excited so um, and then after like just the technical parts are it was beautiful to to see nature being nurtured like that by like these young people with like the most care and I loved how Titouan was like, look at this coral, she's like it's beautiful and I don't know, just like seeing how he like looks at li- the little crabs inside, he sees things that most people don't even look at, you know, yeah. and that I really appreciate. Um, and I mean, I was very proud to be part of it, you know, like to na- like to pick my coral and to name her. To name it and to just like participate, you just want to be. What it makes me feel is want to be part of the movement. You know, I just want to be part of it, and I want everybody to be part of it. And it's not only by planting coral, but it's also like by everybody's lifestyle and behavior towards the environment. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So I want to I wanna dive into, I, I, I totally agree uh, there. I want to dive deeper into the Coral Gardener's experience because it was it was awesome, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Oh, I have yeah. to admit, and Tituan, the founder. So you have this uh, energetic uh, young man. I think he's twenty-one, I believe, Crazy, right? Yeah. And he started this thing a couple of years ago. And he was so impatient. His parents sent him to college, and he just said, "No, I can't do this college crap. I, this is this is going to take too long. And if I want to save coral reefs, it's going to take me seven years of school and blah blah blah." And he said, "No, I'm not. That's not it. I'm going to go back to Morea, and I'm just going to do this now." And I think that's what's so cool is the sense of urgency. Yeah. And I think this young generation uh, is really, you know, they they unfortunately just have this incredible sense of urgency because they have no other choice, really. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think. Some 
sometimes the sort of adult generation loves to say, oh, we're so inspired by the youth and that's so great. They're going to fix all the problems. And it's like, no, 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 no. They have to. Mm-hmm. And we have to support them. And we can't just say, okay, it's on them. They'll fix the world. It's, you know, we need to all act together. But I am getting a lot of inspiration out of Tituan. So Tituan founded Coral Gardeners, uh, I think two years ago, started with nothing. It's just kind of he and a buddy in a room uh, kind of figured out how to make a plan. And so they have an adopt a coral program. And uh, yeah, we went out there and visited with them. We had Michelle Berez, uh, CT surfer, Matahi Drole. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Drole? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my French is terrible, but I've been trying while I've been here. Um, and Coa Smith with us. And yeah, we all went out and got to see their nursery and then pick uh, a coral that had been nursed. They find corals that are broken on the uh, sea floor and make sure that they don't get covered with sediment. And then you get to choose a coral and they took a photo with us, right? Yeah, they, everyone got a photo. And then you have your adopted coral that you then plant on a reef, on like a dead section of reef that will hopefully help it survive. What'd you name your coral, by the way? Hina. Hina, what's that? Um, Hina is the is a goddess in in Tahiti, and she's like courageous and she's proud and she's um, she's quite a woman. <laughs> quite a woman. She's quite it. a woman. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, that's cool. And it was so fun to see how stoked the the other guys got too. You know, Michelle and Matahi, they're having a blast and joking around and they were stoked on the corals looking healthy. And yeah, I mean, we're smiling about it now just remembering it because it was really fun. We also had crazy number of people and cameras in the water. But, um, you know, it was really inspiring. I think the other thing that was really fun about yesterday, again, looking at that generational gap was Dr. Austin Bowden Kirby. And so for context, um, we at WSL Pure discovered Dr. Austin Bowden Kirby. He's this coral gardening expert uh, who's been doing it for 30 odd years on Fiji. And he's just this expert in, in coral gardening. And we thought he was so inspirational and just doing great work that we brought him over to Morea to help work with the coral gardeners because they're so young and energetic and they are doing things generally the right way. But we felt, well, why not bring this guy in who has all this uh, expertise yeah, mm-hmm. and share it? And I thought that was such a fascinating thing to see. I don't know. I saw you all joking around and he was sharing sargassum seaweed with everyone. And here, try this. And, you know, if you eat seaweed, it'll help boost your testosterone and da, da, da. And I mean, he was just this wild guy, but you could see his work underwater. It was incredible. Yeah. You can tell he's been experiencing those um, coral gardening for like 30 years. He has everything dialed, basically. And what I loved is that he showed a different way to grow coral and to restore coral to the coral gardeners but he wasn't imposing himself like he was just showing a different way they prepared a fijian table as they say so with like other techniques and i mean his way to value their work and his work and put them together into looking to the right to the same direction I love these people because that's how you go further. That's how you, you're just encouraging everything instead of like, I have the solution, you know, we yep. need many solutions yep. as much as we need many people involved in, in all the different topics that talk about saving resources. Right. And yeah, that man was, yeah, he's unique. He's got such a beautiful energy. I mean, he was just going faster and and longer than anybody out there. He was getting everybody tired. It was so good to see. It was hard to keep up with him. And Tituan is an energetic guy and the coral gardeners are energetic kids. And yet here's, you know, uh, Austin just, he was going. He was in the water before we got there. He was in the water after we left. I mean, he basically lives out there. It was incredible. So it's really exciting. And yeah, I I thought that was a proud moment just kind of seeing that collaboration 
I think that's yeah. what's really powerful. And because um, you made this happen, <laughs> Pure made that happen, and and that's what's cool about the WSL coming to town is you know we have a platform, and so that platform being able to reach people, and you know I think it's a really positive thing that we do that uh, enables us to say hey here's this cool opportunity we want to bring some people together to do something cool who's in and generally people are in they want to work together when we, when we come together you know some of the people around the table at the WSL just say that our power is our ability to convene people you know yeah. around our events and bringing people together and I think that's a really strong thing and I, I think that's why Coral Gardeners will be successful because they're building a team and a community absolutely yeah and, and we talked about this last night about community yeah, I mean, you don't do anything by yourself, you know, like except maybe fulfilling your ego or something like that. But <laughs> you don't achieve anything that's good for the community without a community. That's my point of view, at least. And I mean, as much as you as, as WSL is like you are a community around surfing and like competitive surfing and the professional world and the top athletes out there, you're like building that community of people that are stoked about the evolution of the sport and pushing the boundaries. And well, Carl Gardner is building a community around young people that want to do something uh, or old people that want to do something to protect the marine resource in that area and it's just so obvious so easy to see that bringing people together just it's not it's not just adding energy to somebody else's energy it's like a multiplication that's the only way really to to do something strong you know because it's hard to fight for those causes you know a lot of people unfortunately they don't necessarily care and you need sometimes you need to fight like ideas that just are despairing <laughs> and for that you need, you know, like you need your buddies, you need, you need your friends to be there and like fight for it with you. You know, it's important. I think. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a an amazing point. It it can be lonely work um, when oh, you're yeah. out there just kind of battling, and you know, activism is a lonely work, and that's that's why you need a, a community of activists to actually get to your point. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, and it can be disheartening. I mean, you read the news, you pay attention to it, you go out, you dive a reef. I mean, you know, yesterday we had that really fun, you know, coral gardening in the morning and then we went out for the afternoon and then saw some of the bleaching and saw some of the fluorescing. We saw some of the purples and the blues and the yeah. colors and the bleaching on the reef. And, you know, we've heard that in uh, the region that the reefs have bleached around 50% of the reefs have bleached in the past few months. And so to see it, you know, that was kind of a bummer. I actually, you know, I wish we'd done the day the other way around. Let's go see the bad stuff and then let's have the fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, entree first and then dessert. But we went the other way around. But, you know, when you build a community around it and you can, you can kind of keep each other afloat. And I think that's what's really powerful. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's something that last night when we were driving back, you were talking about as well, about community and, and, and how that's a part of, you know, what you think is potentially a part of the climate solution. Because I think that, I mean, we are clearly facing an enormous environmental crisis, but I think in the same time, and it's probably linked, we're also facing a loss of sense in the humankind. I think a lot of our interactions are made with a medium that's nearly all the time a computer, a machine, or like some kind of artificial intelligency. And this is disconnecting us from each other. And it's allowing us to do things that we wouldn't do to each other if we were to do it face on face. And yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Too much, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and yeah, I think if we were to have more one-on-one -on -one interactions, 
starting from things we do on a daily basis, where we get our food, for instance, I think we would put more sense into those simple acts and we would, we would empower the people that make that food, for instance, to actually make it with pride and the same values. And if we do that and everybody like makes the effort to do that, then somehow everyone is going like, to do its best in his own field, with his own skills, and every... His or hers. Yeah. Her, her own skills. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're challenging my English. <laughs> no, your English is perfect. I just want to make sure we're not just stuck on yeah. you know, the male pronoun. But whether it's a baker, whether it's somebody who provides, I don't know, a service, like with a builder, with... Um, if you like get back on one-on-one -on -one interactions and not like just a quote on a computer, then we can talk about the how, the how you do things, the how I bake my bread. Why do I choose the right organic flour? Why do I choose this soda? Why do I let it rise for 24 hours? What's the difference? I can tell you about what I know about, what I care for, what is really important to me, and I know it's going to be healthier for you. And if we are on one-on-one, -on -one, we, we're going to realize we share the same values. You want to be healthy, you want your family to be healthy, and you just want to be happy, right? So that's, that kind of like changes the consistency of the exchange. It's not only about how much do I sell my bread. It's also what is the meaning I put into what I do. So what's the energy that's actually going to you through my bread, you know? And it's the same if I'm, we're talking about, I don't know, building a canoe or like any kind of like services. Like if I'm a mechanic and I change the oil of your car or something like that, you know, it's there are ways to do things that are better than others that are less harming to the environment. And if we get back on one-on-one -on -one and exchange on our values before we consume, we empower the person, we empower the professional to do things the best way he can for the human beings, but also for nature. And I think that kind of like solves our feel of being very isolated. And I think we feel more and more isolated and more and more like spread out, although we all live in, most of us live in cities, you know. Yeah. But if we do that, then for some reason, we just create, we just, strengthen the, the links between each other and we allow each person to, to do the best in his own field. And then I think everybody's going to benefit from that, but the, the planet is going to benefit from that too. From, from stronger communities. From stronger communities and for, from people that do stuff with more meaning and according to values that are like deep inside them. Because we, we all have the same values. I don't believe that anybody is really that bad, you know. I think we all want, like, to be happy and we all want our families to be happy, yeah. basically. And it takes different forms, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think that's all really powerful. If I'm, if I'm trying to distill down what you were saying, um, besides using a very, I'll, I'll poke, poke fun at you here but uh using a very french uh example of baking bread sorry uh, <laughs> you uh, like my bread though <laughs> yeah yes of course um everyone loves french bread it is the best bread you're right um the bakery we went to was fantastic i think what i'm distilling down is that if we're less transactional so many things are so transactional right in yeah. that we go okay i just go to the store i get this thing i don't care about the person behind the register and i don't care about where my my food came from and i don't care about whatever i just get the thing and i just want it and we we love convenience and we love quick transactions yeah and so to slow things down and be more connected to 
where our food comes from, who's making our food, who's taking care of our products, who's repairing our products so that I don't need a new thing and just getting a new thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that sounds like a pretty uh, stellar little community I'd love to be a part of. But I do think that there's a movement of people who are trying to do that and trying to slow things down a little bit. It might take a little while for us to all slow down, but I certainly would appreciate that. I'd appreciate a few less emails every day. (laughs) We talked about something last night on the drive back around a sense of accomplishment. And I thought that was really interesting because you were talking about, you know, I feel like you're out there, you're doing your thing, you know, free diving and surfing. And, you know, it's kind of, oh, you know, what is that sense of accomplishment and what are we driving towards? And and, in trying to, you know, I won't say fight climate change because you can't fight a weather system. Uh, (laughs) You know, you can adapt to it. But in the environmental movement, it can be challenging to have that sort of sense of accomplishment of getting to the next thing. You know, it's, it's a big, big challenge. Yeah. And the work ahead of us is really, really hard in general in life. I think, you know, how do we find those, how do we feel a sense of accomplishment when tasks are monumental or when there isn't a box to check? Like we were talking about, you know, if you're a free surfer, how do you feel a sense of accomplishment relative to, a competitive surfer who goes, I won the contest, check, right? Like sense of accomplishment versus I'm out here surfing and doing things, you know? I think it's, I thought it was just an interesting thread how you were talking about that sense of accomplishment and how I think so many people are seeking a, a better title and more money and all those things. But at the same time, there are many people who are looking at you and saying, oh my goodness, look, you figured it out. You were saying you don't feel a sense of accomplishment and yet you figured it out like you you've gone off and seen the world you are so accomplished as a surfer and a diver and all these things and you you're making a life out of it and that's really cool i don't know i just felt like that was an interesting conversation thread <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess that's something that everybody's facing the sense of accomplishment why are we here what do i do with this beautiful life am i doing enough am i doing too much what is the real, like, where is the good and bad, you know? It's, it's always that forever question. I'm, in terms of, of what we do for the environment, I think, I think we need to downscale a lot because the bigger picture is very scary and everybody is overwhelmed by this. And everybody is overwhelmed by that bigger picture, you know? There is no other way, really. <laughs> um, so how I did it personally is to really downscale the problem to my little life. <laughs> Community. Yeah, but even starting from myself and then and then like looking at myself not being able to to make it just being one, you know? I can't I can't be this as sustainable as I want without my community. It just doesn't work. I can only like be more sustainable if I can rely on other people. And if I can build those relationships that are going to offer me solutions, because if I, if my goal is to do everything by myself, like I thought I could do at some point, you know, when you're, when, when you're a bit naive, you think you can like, you can grow all these food, you can like repair everything all by yourself. You can't, it's just, oh, you, you may be able, but it's sad. (laughs) It's lonely. And what is important is just, to share, you know, because you learn so much, then you want to share. So, yeah, I think that's that's a, a good a good start. And then every action you do that's in tune with your conviction 
It's just going to be a huge satisfaction. And that satisfaction is going to give you the smile. It's just going to give you the, the stoke to actually do a little more. Yeah. And it goes on like a, a snowball, you know? Yeah. And it actually goes a very long way. And what's so cool is that when people see you happy to actually go against the current of over-consuming, they already feel overwhelmed with consumption. And they are like most likely to adopt the little resolutions that you started with. And they are going to create their own snowballs. And it's just going to spread like that. And it actually, it is surprising to see how fast it spreads. Yeah. You know, sometimes I go away for a few months. And then when I go home, man, my friends, they have like solutions for things I haven't even thought about. There is no plastic in any of the cosmetics. It's like, how cool are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So this is like their own snowballs and they find so much happiness in doing it, you know? Yeah. And this is only a small example, but um, it just amazes me to see how people are catching on that idea of having less and like acting in accordance to your conviction is just a way to to make peace with yourself. And it's really cool. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny on that thread of friends who then say, look at what I'm doing now. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you live by example and, you know, my wife, Annie and I try to live by example as well. And, you know, um, we all need examples. Totally. Yeah. And, and she's, she's really a, a leader in this, uh, in our home. She'll, uh, occasionally do a waste audit and go through our trash and say, okay, what's in our trash? What are we throwing away? And we realized like we were eating potato chips. That was one thing. We still really love potato chips. They're in plastic bags. We went, you know what? Like, we just need to give up potato chips like that's it but i think you know we do that and we have friends and family who then will months later say like oh by the way i saw like your instagram story or whatever it is and um here's what we're doing now they love to like show you here's our thing we become we've become those people in that community and so i feel like instagram and the internet in general can feel like you're shouting into the void of the fire hose of the internet, right? You're like, I'm doing yeah. a thing. Does anybody care? Uh, you know, you get a couple likes and it's like, whatever. Um, but then those moments happen and you realize you do have this community of people who pay attention and who are inspired by the little things you're doing and they start to, you know, snowball, like you're saying, right? It becomes an avalanche of good consumer Change. habits, which is really great. So I am curious, you know, we've talked a little bit about isolation and, you know, community, I think, in the in the face-to-face context and that sort of, you know, know your baker, know your mechanic. Mm-hmm. But online communities are really powerful, too. And so I'm curious, you know, you as sort of an influencer, ambassador for, for Patagonia, et cetera, like, obviously, you have an, an online influence. And so is Instagram net positive, net negative? You know, what do you think of online communities as a powerful mechanism for environmental change? I think it's um, it's a tool we can't do without nowadays. I think this is a very powerful tool and we need to use it. We need to use all the tools we can. The man-on-man discussion, the online spreading the message, everything really. I think there is better uses than others in terms of social media. I think it when it's used in a good way, without comparison, but more for inspiration, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful tool. I think it's a very powerful way to share messages and empower people to act, to take action, to take a pledge, to make changes. 
and commit to something that's just gonna grow into making more and more sense for themselves and also for people around them. I'm always a bit concerned of like younger people that yeah. might not have all the keys to understand what's behind. But, you know, that's kind of the challenge of modernity. Modernity has brought us amazing tools, but until we get burnt a, little, a few times, <laughs> you know, we still have to play with fire. So, <laughs> so I'm willing to play because that's definitely, we need that fire, right? 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. I want to, I uh, we're going to come back to a couple of questions, but I want to go to a couple of fan questions. We did have, you know, we had some people who had some interesting things to ask. I sourced a couple ahead of time. One question we had was around your representation uh, being a woman in surfing and in that, in that environmental movement. And I'm curious what you think about the women's equality movement in surfing, as well as uh, just kind of the tremendous uprising of women in science and women in the environmental movement. I mean, so many of the strongest leaders right now are women and it's fantastic finally <laughs> that it's happening, right? Uh, you know, you have Greta Thunberg, she's incredible. You have Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson who's one, you know, associated with Pure and she's an incredible leader in New York City. You have all of these, you know, Jamie Margolin, uh, Alexandra Villasenor, you have all these incredible young women who are leading, you know, you, yourself, uh, you know, uh, Kimmy, um, a lot of the Patagonia ambassadors on Please. the women's side, yeah. really, really impressive, right? And they're yeah. out there using their voice and their platform. And I just kind of wanted to ask you what you think of that. Uh, I, I think it's incredible. But being a part of that, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. And we did have one person who said, I want to know what, what she thinks about her role as a woman in this movement. I feel part of it, like every woman is part of it, you know. I feel like I'm benefiting from that movement because I'm so empowered by everything that's happening, you know. It just feels feels like your voice is louder for a good reason, for the right reason, right? It's just that it should be as loud as anybody. 100%. Yeah, but also, I mean, I've never really tried to be less loud, you know. I mean, I've always yeah. been proud to be a woman and I've, no, I've never really questioned that. I've, I've always been myself and myself involves to be a woman. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we don't, we as women, we don't know what it is to be a man either. You know what I mean? Like we just do what we do. And what I'm so proud of being part of that gender is that we do things with instinct. I think that's the biggest thing for me about being a woman is that we have a very strong instinct that if we're able to slow down all the little voices that are talking to us, we have a much deeper voice resonating inside us. And for some reason, I'll tell you, it's always true. It's always right. That little voice or that very strong voice, it's like a bass. It's something that's like hard to understand by itself, but is so much stronger and deeper and like coming from the ground that you it's absolutely necessary in in the harmony right and that voice that instinctual voice is is something i wouldn't want to live without (laughs) i wouldn't want to be anything else than a woman just for that because anytime i feel a bit lost or like floating i want to calm down all these other voices and listen to what my instinct tells me it's a gift that was that was an incredible answer um wow um 
I also think it's really interesting about that instinct and, you know, uh, women in the environmental movement. I think what's really interesting to me is how much you hit on community. And this is something I, I, I feel like I don't have data points to prove this, but anecdotally, I feel like so many women I know tend towards community-based solutions yeah. and people human-based solutions, whereas so many men come at it from a technology or financial thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, it's a carbon tax and we need some carbon capture, right? Whereas women are like, no, we need to rally our communities and, and think about how we build communities around solutions and da, 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 right? You need that human connection. So it's going to be interesting as we go down this journey with this podcast as I, you know, meet men and women and, and talk to them about what they think, you know, we need. Um, maybe I'll have an answer in a year or so of, you know, whether women are all community based or not. I'm sure there's going to be overlap and it's all going to be mixed and great, but it's, it's a fun journey that we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was what's one of the most important learnings that you've had in your environmental journey if you really had to distill it down like what's what's one thing that you you've learned in this path over the last 10 15 years however long it's been i think it's something we talked about a little earlier is that for some reason i think i might have thought at some point that i could be self-sufficient like i love that term i wanted to do everything myself grow everything i could like grow all my food, repair all my stuff. I thought I could do I could do it all by myself. And yeah, experiences told me it's not about that and it wouldn't be fun. And it's only by mutualizing the skills and the knowledge that you actually get to be self-sufficient but within a community and that's actually how it, you get to be happy which is <laughs> a big one. <laughs> so we're all trying to figure out, right? Yeah. That's that's a great one. And finally, are you hopeful? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know that we won't really change the course of where this world is going, you know? Oh, I mean, I think we all know that we won't change the course of how much the environment is changing, but, but we can slow it down and we can create bubbles where things go back into the right direction, you know? I imagine it as every community as a little bubble and the map of the world being just like a lot of little bubbles. And within these bubbles, having people that rely on each other, trust each other, empower each other to do better and can sustain themselves with food, with intellectual food, (laughs) with social food, all of that. So... For that, I'm hopeful because I think living within those bubbles is going to be great because there is all this knowledge behind. We will be able to value the lifestyle that we create within those bubbles. And when you're able to value and want what you have, well, it's like Nirvana, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, You said it's easier to keep moving than to stay in one place. And I'm really curious. So, you know, you've been moving around a lot. Yeah. You've been traveling quite a bit. You know, Patagonia keeps you busy. You're telling a lot of great stories, chasing swells, et cetera. And I I thought that line was really interesting because I think so many of us just keep going, keep going, keep going, right? Keep putting one foot in front of the other and just, you know, that's how we get through it. And it is hard to sit in one place. It's hard to sit in one place and meditate. It's hard to sit on the bottom of the ocean with a rock on your lap and just be there and be present. And then, you know, more tangibly in this world, you know, it's got to be hard to you know stay put 
when you're so used to picking up and, and going and being back and forth. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what's next for you? Are you are you truly looking to settle and stay here in Tahiti or somewhere else? What, what does that look like for you? What's next? And, you know, what does staying in one place mean for, for you? I do think that it's easier to keep moving than it is to stop somewhere and be committed into a community just because that's something I've always done you know I've um, I've left home when I was 14 and I'm 33 and I just kept moving the whole time and and it's been amazing experiences a beautiful school of life it's been wonderful but I think um, all of that was there to teach me something and it's related to what I was talking about earlier about like the fact that we can only live sustainably within a community. And so um, I do want to settle down, slow down and, and bring my own participation to a community. That's what I'm doing here in Tahiti, but that's also what I'm doing when I'm back in France. I don't know exactly where life is going to, you know, make me grow the bigger roots, but I feel like uh, that's what I'm doing in both places right now. And my instinct is going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, what's next for you? Any trips coming up in the next year, two years? Any major projects or things that people should follow along? Um, I'm going to um, spend the winter in France and kind of like rediscover the areas, like try to like move on well to different uh, locations in Europe. And uh, it's not the fanciest project, <laughs> but it's a very meaningful one. It just means like explore your own garden and see what it's like. Yeah, I think it's important. And you mentioned, are you you're speaking at a conference? Uh, yeah, at the Me Convention in Frankfurt, mid September. Very yeah. cool. I'm trying to share my um, life experience and because not everybody has the luck, has the chance that I have to explore the world like I did the past 20 years and <laughs> you know and I just want to share my understanding of it and maybe it can help people to feel good where they are and dig even deeper into what they do or it can help people steer their boat to something that is more meaningful to them so yeah I'm interested in into doing that I think it's it's not easy because um, it's always easier to go somewhere new and have a new experience. But looking inside yourself and inside all your stories to best use them into telling your messages, I find it very painful. <laughs> but I know that's necessary, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's mean, not, I know that's what I want, like necessary for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my path, yeah. That's cool. Well, I look forward to staying in touch with your presentation, seeing it when it's finished or whatever. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time out. Thanks for coming with us uh, on the trip yesterday to Coral Gardeners and for all the work that you're doing here in Tahiti and around the world to try and you know make the world a better place and uh, share your story. Thank you, Reese. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and uh, for highlighting these these projects and for like using the voice of WSL to spread a good message that everybody really wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to coming back next year, hopefully, and seeing you know improvement in the reefs, and hopefully we can really show an impact, you know, by supporting coral gardeners and maybe Tahiti D Surf Club and trying to help them uh, protect this place. So cool. Thanks. Thank you so much. 
Thanks again to Leah for all her help in Tahiti and for making the time to chat with us. You can find Leah online at Leah Brassi and check the show notes for links. You can also find links to our project restoring corals with the Coral Gardeners and the Glowing Gone campaign that we ran. It was the coolest thing that we did in 2019. We'll also, of course, link to some of our tips on what you can do to you know, reduce your climate impact per the discussion we had, and to Dr. Austin Bowden-Kirby, who was super, super impressive. You can also find WSL Pure online at WSL Pure. Hit us up with an email, oneocean at wslpure.org. And that's all I got for this week. I hope you all are doing fantastic, and see you next time. <laughs>